Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Lord, we pray this very morning that you would give us ears, the ears to be able to hear. Lord, not just to be able to hear words spoken, but Lord, that we might have this go deeper than just our earlobes. Lord, that you would touch our hearts. Lord, let us listen to you as you speak to us, as you speak peace to your people, to your saints. Lord, let us not turn to the folly, but let us turn to the path of the wise man, following in your ways. We pray that we would have open and receptive hearts to be able to hear what you have to say to us through your spirit this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 23. A psalm of David. Yahweh is my shepherd. I will not lack for anything. In grassy pastures he makes me lie down. By quiet waters he leads me. He restores my life. He leads me in correct paths for the sake of his name. Even when I walk in a dark valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me a table in the presence of my oppressors. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is overflowing. Surely goodness and loyal love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will stay in the house of Yahweh for a very long time. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Creature comforts. We all have them. All of them look different in every one of our lives. It's a common uh, expression in our vocabulary. We understand it. The term started being used in about the 17th century, about the 1650s. Actually, in Matthew Henry's commentary, he has a commentary on the whole of the Bible. And and, uh, in in this commentary, he uses this expression about 58 times without any explanation of what this term means. So generally, that means there's a common understanding of what this term means, as readers of his commentary would understand. But as I said, we all have our creature comforts, things in our life that we would not want to part with. Or if we were to part with them, we would be more grumpy, more upset, You might have heard a saying, you might even be able to fill in this blank, I could not live without, and you could even fill in the blank, maybe one thing is coming to your mind right now, every person would have their own answer, I could not live without my phone, my coffee, my truck, ice cream, a recliner, my dog, you you fill in whatever you think that might be for you, and for you it might be a small thing. But this small thing has a big impact on your life, and you were to remove that, it would change your life drastically. For others, looking on, they they might not even have anything like that, but they say, I don't need that. That is not my comfort. But It might seem small, but it is, in fact, a large thing. It makes a big difference in your life. And in today's line of Psalm 23, it speaks of the creature comfort. The comfort which is given to the sheep. 
the comfort found of the sheep of the good shepherd, the rod and the staff of the shepherd. Every trade has their tools that are essential for their occupation. The carpenter needs his hammer, the baker, the whisk, the electrician, their pliers, the mechanic, their wrench. The shepherd has tools in his belt, one of which is his voice. Being able to call his sheep, direct his sheep. But he also has the rod and the staff, which are the tools of his trade. Now before we get to understand what this passage means to us today, we really need to understand the cultural understanding of this verse. Mainly because there's a drastic difference. Some of us have, might have experience with looking after livestock or animals. But farming has changed drastically in the last 100, 200 years with the ready use of an engine, combustible engines. But it's even more different that of 3,000 years ago, roughly when this psalm was written. Not only it was 3,000 years ago, but it's also in a different culture. One of the greatest differences, I think, that you notice between this culture of farming here and uh, their culture there is that shepherds and farmers did not have fenced-in enclosures or pastures for their animals. There were nomadic shepherds. Today, a farmer has 10, 100, 1,000 acres which they cultivate to be able to sustain their livestock. They have fields for pasturing, fields for hay for the winter, corn to be able to supplement their diet. However, that's not the case in an arid desert. Especially during the summer months. Today, farmers prepare for winter. In the Middle East, it's not winter that is the most difficult, although that is, has its own challenges. But it is summer that becomes the difficult season. The water dries up. The grass becomes sparse. The shepherd needs to go and find grass and water for the flock. 3,000 years ago, you had no trailers, no trucks. To be able to get your sheep from one grazing field to another, you needed to walk. You needed to walk not just one or two sheep to be able to go, you needed to walk your whole flock across these rugged mountaintops where predators roam. The sheep wander off, they get stuck. It's hard enough hiking with three kids, let alone a, a bunch of a flock of sheep through the mountains. Though so the shepherd would have their tools of trade. It would be light enough that they would be able to carry them as they roam through these mountains, but strong enough to be able to help in those difficult conditions. He would carry his rod and his staff. The rod might be better described as, as some form of short bat or club. The small weapon could be used to be able to throw or even beat off predators that they might encounter. The staff is probably more of a common picture that we have when we picture a shepherd with the shepherd's crook was used for guiding the sheep as they began to wander off the path, but also the hook on the other end to be able to pull them out of a crack or a ditch if they ever fell down. So what can we learn about these creature comforts of the rod and the staff? The first thing we'll look at is the rod. The rod is a creature comfort. 
our image of the shepherd can be very tainted. It's not a very easy task. Being a shepherd would have been one of the most dangerous jobs down the bottom of the totem pole. We might have that picture of the shepherd laying in green grass surrounded by happy sheep with that blade of grass sticking out of his mouth. However, this is not always the case. The shepherd is one of great cost and danger. The shepherd would often be in the desert by themselves with animals that are helpless, defenseless. The risk of being attacked by some predator is not merely just something that happens, but a reality. David explained to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 17, that he, as a young shepherd, had defeated a lion and a bear while watching his father's sheep. It's not merely that a lion and a bear came up and he had to shoo them away. Actually, says in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that he went after the lion and the bear when it had a lamb in its mouth. He defeated the lion and the bear to be able to rescue that lamb from their mouth. This is not an easy task when we think about it. When Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers in Genesis, his brothers deceived their dad by bringing his robe covered in blood. And Jacob's response is really quite a simple one. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without, torn to pieces. But given all the evidence, there's one likely situation that Jacob says of his son Joseph. A fierce animal must have devoured him. It's a likely thing and occurrence during this time. He didn't try and think, well, maybe he ran away. Maybe something else happened. There was one simple explanation in Jacob's mind. A fierce animal must have come out and attacked him. And this is the life of a shepherd. Walking around in the desert, giving, walking around with all these lamb chops for these predators to be able to eat, and having to be able to defend them. The shepherd would be confronted very regularly with fierce animals wanting to eat his flock. Jesus makes it very clear how dangerous this job is in John chapter 10. When a hired hand is confronted with a wolf, he sees it coming, and he runs in the other direction. And the shepherd then needs the tools of his trade, the rod. Jesus explains that Satan comes to be able to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the thief who comes to try and steal the sheep. Then Jesus clarifies that I give His sheep eternal life. That they will never perish and no one will be able to snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of My Father's hand. Just as David defended his sheep with his life, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, protects His sheep that no one would be able to come and snatch them out of His hand. We see that we have great comfort in this. 
when Jesus sends out His disciples. He sends them out, as Luke says in Luke chapter 10, as sheep among wolves. Paul explains to the Ephesian elders as he's departing, that I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The predators of, of the good shepherd sheep are not physical predators. Physical predators. But they're the ones who want to be able to make you come and follow a different shepherd. Twist the words, as Paul says. We would call them not wolves. We'd call them false teachers. We see that this in Psalm 23 is not merely just a a nice poem making us feel warm and gooey on the inside. But the simple premise that we began with, the Lord is my shepherd, has great benefits that flow out from it. It's not merely just a poetic statement, it's a theological statement with implications of how one walks as a sheep. Now if we are sheep walking in this desert, and there's predators that are around, these dangers can be found in many ways. And all of them coming to be able to snatch them from the Good Shepherd's hand. The reality is that a shepherd sees a wolf coming and they know it's a predator. Whereas Paul says that you don't know the predators. They're among you. It's not so clear in the life of the church that it often that the wolves are disguised like sheep in the world of the church. And we need to be aware that in the life of a sheep, of a good shepherd, There is always a constant threat. Especially when we are not close to the shepherd. This rod that this shepherd carries is not a toy. It's a weapon used to show the shepherd's power and protection over his sheep. Christ holds this weapon. He uses this weapon in this church. In his church. A weapon is to be used to fight off those seeking to be able to steal Christ's sheep. Notice when Paul speaks of it, the wolves coming and they twist the words to be able to steal disciples. He commended them to the God, the word of His grace. So then how does Christ use His word to protect His flock? The danger again is not wolves and coyotes. But the danger is that they're close to the sheep. The image given in Acts chapter 20 is that of those who are deceiving the sheep. To steal the sheep. Or to put it another way. Jesus said the world will will persecute us because He was persecuted. But we should not let the world into the church. The Christ gave the keys of the kingdom to the under-shepherd. 
Paul highlights this in 1 Peter chapter 5, which we'll look at later. We see that in the church, sin starts to creep in. And there's a way that the rod is used within the church today to be able to drive those false wolves away, those fake sheep away. We have the creature comfort of the rod. We also have the creature comfort of the staff. The rod is to be used on predators, but the staff is to be used on sheep. The rod was never used on the sheep, only the staff was used on the sheep. The good shepherd may correct the sheep with his staff, but never beat the sheep with his rod. Just as a father disciplines his child out of love, so too does God discipline his children whom he loves. The author of Hebrews explains that loving father does not discipline his child with the goal of happiness. He uses and disciplines them. And though it is painful for a time, it is not pleasant, the author of Hebrews said. But the goal of discipline is never happiness. The goal of discipline is always holiness. Ellister Begg puts it this way, that discipline is a privilege because it is evidence of our sonship. The shepherd does not beat his sheep into submission, but lovingly directs them to the path when they are beginning to stray. Again, we have a false idea of modern evangelicalism. It comes straight from the world. Love, and the definition of love, is acceptance of anything and everything that I do. Love is merely just turning a blind eye. That is not the biblical definition of love. Sadly, this has crept into how we think, how we interact with one another. And I think we do that because we don't ultimately grasp what sin is. Sin leads to death. Sin, the depths of sin, go far within the reachings of our whole being. That sin is not merely just a small thing that we do here and there. It permeates who we are in all that we do. And once you begin to start to downplay sin, then what we see is we don't have far to be able to grow as a believer. Merely just have the short little temper spouts that go here and there, an unloving comment. However, the the believer knows the correction is a part of their growth in grace. To put it another way, discipline is discipleship, and discipleship is discipline. Discipleship, quite simply, is putting Christ at the head of all things. Christ is King. What you seek to be able to do is follow that king in the way that he has directed you. The disciple puts Christ as king and he rules over all aspects of your life. Paul writes in Galatians that just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. And so too, a little bit of sin within our hearts grows. And it has an effect on all of our lives. 
And Paul's example in Galatians is, is not just the individual believer, but the life of the church as well. Paul puts it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says that would you take a prostitute and unite it to Christ? And what he's talking about there is one person in the church is committing sexual immorality. And he says that one person's sexual immorality has an effect on the whole body. The church. And we understand that we'll never reach perfection on this side of heaven. But then that doesn't rule out all the other Scriptures that say that sanctification is a growth that we must aspire to. There's always a need for repentance. And you see that discipline comes in various different levels. On the broadest level, it comes through the Word. You might be sitting there and you're, you're convicted. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. You're reminded of, of something you have said, something you have done. You see your sin clearly before you. You go to Christ and the cross and seek forgiveness. That's what we learn in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. What is all of Scripture used for? Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Now we want the Word to be able to encourage us, and it does that. But Paul says that all of Scripture, for correction, training, reproof. So sitting underneath the preaching of God's Word is a way that God uses His staff to be able to guide His children. However, more specifically, the role becomes more direct when we talk about discipline. That God uses either the brothers and sisters in Christ or the leaders in the church to correct those who are wandering. Now, the leaders of the church have two roles. That is ministerial and declarative. What that means is ministerial means that that you, a minister of the Gospel, is someone who is charged by God to a certain role. To carry that out. To be used as an instrument, an agent. So a minister of the Gospel is charged to be able to preach the Gospel. But it's also declarative. That the role of the church is to, to vocalize, to declare what the Word says. You see, these two kind of go hand in hand in 1 Peter chapter 5, where Paul exhorts, as he says in verse 2 I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are in your charge, 
but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The Christ, he has ascended into heaven and he is the head of the church. And as a part of Christ's ascension into the heavens, he has now charged elders to be able to be under shepherds of the chief shepherd. So John chapter 10 speaks of the good shepherd. Hebrews speaks about the great shepherd. In 1 Peter, Peter speaks about the chief shepherd. Now, that does not then mean that elders begin to choose how they can shepherd the flock. As an under-shepherd, as a chief shepherd, they're responsible as a minister, ministerial, to be underneath God, that they're instruments and agents for God. They don't get to then decide how they get to shepherd the flock. They have a job description. You notice here, shepherd the flock. You're to exercise oversight. Here's what you are to do, but you're not to do it under compulsion. You're to do it willingly, not for shameful gain. Eagerly, but not domineering. As examples. You notice they're they're to shepherd not with a rod, which would be domineering, but as examples. So you might ask the question, how does God use His rod on His sheep today? Or His staff? You'd say through the Word. That's what the elders do as ministers of the Word. Instruments of God declaring forth the Word. They don't make their own rules. They don't set their own boundaries. They're instruments and declares. And through discipline, they are merely stating, declaring what the Bible says. They admonish, rebuke, suspend, dispose, or excommunicate. So what that means is they open the Word. As ministers, they use the staff, maybe to admonish, to rebuke. Drastic situations to excommunicate. And what that means is when they declare, they're only declaring what they see to be true from the person's profession and actions. To take it from excommunication right back to when a member joins the church. Member joins the church, they're interviewed by the elders. Anyone coming to seek? church membership. And what the elders are doing, they're not saying, are you saved or not? They're not making that statement. Those who haven't been interviewed by the elders are not saved, and those who have been interviewed are saved. They're not making that statement to be true. What the elders are doing as instruments is declaring whether that is a true profession of faith or not. What are they looking for with a true profession of faith? Well, do they look to Christ alone for their salvation? Have they got the Spirit at work in their lives and the fruit of the Gospel coming forth? Do they acknowledge their sin before God and their need for Jesus? 
They receive and rest upon Jesus alone for their salvation. They're declaring what is true to Scripture in the life of this believer. So to put it on the other end of the spectrum, in excommunication, is not then saying you are or you are not saved. From your profession and your fruit, you are walking in a life that is rebellious to the Gospel, rebellious to God's Word. Here's the Bible and here's what it says. This is the way that a Christian should live. And you're not walking in that way. So too, with any form of discipline, not just the extreme path, if someone comes up to you and says, brother or sister in Christ, you notice that when you talk, you're quick to be able to use harsh words unwholesome talk come out of your mouth? Can I open the Bible with you and point you to a Bible verse? Here's what a Christian is meant to be like. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only what is helpful and encouraging of building each other up. And you turn to them, oh, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Would you help pray with me? That the Spirit would help me in this? It's been a great struggle of mine. That is discipline. That is discipleship. And we should be ready and eager to have those conversations in our life. Welcome them. Point out each other's sin, not to be able to say, gotcha! But to be able to encourage one another that all of Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete for every good work. We should rejoice in that. But the difficult part of this this psalm is not the rod and the staff, but that it comforts us. That the good shepherd uses his tools to be able to comfort us. What, What is the creature comfort of the sheep? The rod and the staff. David says the rod and the staff of the good shepherd comfort the believer. The the author of Hebrews says that discipline is not pleasant. How can then we find comfort in the staff that guides us or corrects us, that disciplines us? I think we find understanding in the simple one is the rod. The rod brings us comfort that all of our enemies are defeated. The staff. Used to be able to, to grab us when we're wandering, to, to point us in the right direction. That does not comfort me. Even the small correction when we're exposed, when we're, we see our sin, even just reading the Word. More or less, when a brother or sister comes and points out the sin in our lives, this is comfort. The comfort is that we were once enemies deserving the rod. But now we're a sheep. We were sanctified through the staff. Christ the Good Shepherd came. He took the punishment of the rod, the discipline of God. He defeated 
our sin. That we might live because He died. Christ came and He took that punishment of the rod on the cross. That then, no longer we are called enemies, but we are called children of God in which God then disciplines us because He loves us. Westminster Shorter Catechism answers your question, how does Christ execute the office of a king? It answers Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us into Himself, in ruling and defending us, in restraining and conquering all of His and our enemies. How do we find comfort from the rod and the staff? We can't find comfort in the rod that He restrains and conquers all of His and all of our enemies. We find comfort in the staff that He subdues us to Himself in ruling and defending us. We find great comfort in the rod and the staff. One shows Christ's victory over sin and Satan. The other, the staff, shows victory over His over our life. We die to sin and live to Christ. It is in this understanding that David continues to write. That even when he has, is surrounded by enemies, the Lord lays a table before him. The sheep or the good shepherd love his protection from predators outside but they also love God's prevention through his staff from the sin from within let's go to Lord in prayer O gracious and most merciful father we pray that you would indeed comfort us through your rod and your staff that we would see them as great joys in the life of the believer that we would see your victory over sin and Satan through the rod as comfort to us. But also, Lord, even the staff, that You would comfort us even in our discipline. We pray that we would have hearts that are receptive, open to Your Word, that point to us of our sin and our folly that we might be able to plead the blood of Christ. Run back and say we are but children we are not enemies anymore because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.